All right, what's happening? What is going on? Welcome into Sports Betting Daily. Happy Thursday. How are we doing this week? How are we doing? On today's show, we're going to talk about a few things. We'll talk about bad beats. We'll talk about uh, parlay math. And uh, yeah, just get a few things done on this Thursday. How are we all doing? How'd you do last night? How, how have your bets been going this week? They, I've been kind of floating around along this week. A couple winners, a couple losers. You know what I found hysterical, though? Okay, so I love this in baseball. I was watching the Texas-Houston game yesterday. I was watching a bunch of baseball last night, but... Uh, you know, baseball is so stupid because they have all these unwritten rules. Everyone's all sanctimonious. If you uh, if you flip your bat a little too intense, everyone gets all pissed off. It's like, dude, you're a, I used to be a pitcher. I understand this, right? So I get the feeling of someone hitting a home run off you and then showboating, right? So I get it. It's not like I haven't played baseball, right? I don't understand it, but it's like, dude, you just gave up a home run. <laughs> like, that's on you. That's your fault. I mean, can you imagine in the NFL if like, you know, some receiver scores, does his touchdown dance, and then the defender's like, he tackles him and like gets all, he's disrespecting me. It's like, you just got burned. You deserve to be disrespected. In baseball, I don't understand where these pitchers become such goddamn babies. It's like you can't show any emotion. It's got all, all the unwritten rules. It's so fucking stupid, in my opinion. You know, I mean, baseball is doing some good things in terms of the pitch clock, moving the game along. That stuff's ridiculous, though. I mean, that's that's old school, and I think it's dumb it needs to go. But you know what? what's funny, though? What's hysterical? Every time there's a brawl in baseball, my favorite part is watching the bullpen. <laughs> you see all the relief pitchers, like, jogging out from the outfield, the bullpen. And they usually get there too late. It's all resolved by the, by the time they get there. And, you know, both bullpens usually just kind of end up, like, having a discussion. Oh, boy. Did you see what happened? No. Uh, no, I was hanging out back here. But, you know, it's it's just funny. You know, they start bitching, they start complaining. And I think yesterday in the Houston game, someone hit a grand slam for Texas, and then the catcher got all pissed off, you know? Hey, you know, hurry up, why are you taking too long? It's like, oh, am I taking too long for your, you know, satisfaction? It's so dumb. They get their feelings hurt. It's like, you're supposed to win, but you're not supposed to hurt anyone's feelings while you win. So, yeah, I don't know. Just, I had some thoughts on that, but let's get into it. We got a couple things to go over today. Uh, Let's start off with bad beats. I saw this article... I, I try and keep up with like the sports betting news, what's going on in the in the world. Are there any articles written about sports betting? Is there anything really big going on? Actually, one of the big things that I'm going to keep my eye on is Brazil. Apparently, Brazil is introducing a bunch of new regulations and tax uh, rules and tax laws for their sports betting. It shouldn't affect things in America right now, but I'm going to keep my eye on that. And if it does, we'll certainly talk about it. But I did see this article. The Philadelphia Inquirer writing about bad beats. Now it's always great, right? When you see like the New York Post or the Philadelphia Inquirer or the Washington or the Washington whatever it is, talking about sports betting, right? I mean, I mean, no, they don't. It, it's funny. I, I actually find it more entertaining to see these. <laughs> I don't know whether it's like a sports writer or what it is, you know, writing about sports betting. And, and sometimes it gets a lot funnier than this. But but it, it brought up a good uh, topic which is bad beats. Because you hear the word bad beats or the phrase bad beat thrown out a lot, whether it's on Twitter or whatever. A lot of people claim bad beat, bad beat, bad beat. And while there's not one definition, right? You can't open up Merriam-Webster's dictionary and see the definition. I've got my definition of bad beats because, again, I think it's way overused. In my, in my opinion, a bad beat is not a game that you almost won but lost. That's what a lot of people think a bad beat is. Oh, you're in the ninth inning. Oh, you're in the fourth quarter. You had it won, but you lost. That's not a bad beat. Right, a ninth inning rally 
a late touchdown, a late goal. These are not bad beats. These are normal events that happen throughout the course of any game. Just because something that normally happens at a game happened towards the end of the game doesn't make it less likely or a bad beat for you, right? That, that, that's what you mainly get. If someone is close to winning and they lose late, oh, bad beat. And I know it makes you feel better when you say bad beat, but the reality is that's just something that happens all the time and it just happened to happen late in the game that you were betting on. You know, I hear a lot of people say ninth inning comebacks. Oh, we were up, we lost in the ninth, bad beat. And it's like, not really. Why should the ninth inning be considered any different than any other inning? You know, actually, when you look at scoring distribution, the first inning is by far the, the, heavily, the most heavily scored inning. But after that, two through nine is pretty similar. Now, you may say people have closers, they have setup guys, you're going to face better pitching in the ninth inning, which generally speaking, that's probably overwhelmingly the case. But still, that doesn't mean just because you have a pitcher in there that has a good ERA, he's not going to give up runs. See, what we do or what the public does generally is they overestimate everything. When there's a good team, most people in the public think they're better than they are. When there's a worse team, most people in the, in the public think they're worse than they are. So when you get a pitcher, you know, Craig Kimbrell or fill in the blank, whoever, you know, and they go out there, we think good closer means never give up runs. That's not the case. Closers are going to give up runs all the time, just like good starting pitchers are going to give up runs all the time. You know, so this idea of, oh, well, the closer's in, it should be one open and shut, one, two, three, let me get my money and walk out of here. That's not a bad beat. A ninth inning comeback is not a bad beat, right? Now, a bad beat, so here's my definition. My definition of a bad beat is when you have over a 97, because you know, I work in math and numbers and stuff, so it's easier for me to quantify this. If you have over a 97% chance to win and end up losing that game, yeah, I consider that a bad beat. Uh, also, if you have a high chance to win, like over a 95% chance to win, and something happens that rarely, rarely happens, some freak thing, that's also a bad beat. Do you remember the Alabama-Auburn kick six? Yeah, when was that? In my mind, it was only a couple years ago. Let's look this up here. Alabama, Auburn, but it was, uh, wow, 2013, holy Nikes! wow, 2013, (laughs) time flies, man, I feel like that was a couple years ago, anyway, uh, the Auburn, Alabama kick six, for those who don't remember, Alabama had the ball, one second left in the game, they attempt like a 60-yard field goal, the field goal is short, Auburn catches the field goal, like they had a return man back, Runs it back 109 yards for a touchdown and win the game, right? That's That could be a bad beat if you had Alabama. I believe they were an underdog that game. Alabama was for, number one in the country for that game. Auburn was fourth, and it was at Auburn. So I think the Tigers were a slight favorite. But either way, stuff like that, that's a bad beat, right? If if you have, if, if you're up, um, if you have a football game, this happened last year, actually. There was an over-under and, I mean, the under was just so obvious all game. The over-under was like 40, let's say, in a college football game. It was like like 10-7 for the whole game, right? And the last couple minutes, there's a kick return for a touchdown, onside kick return, next play's a Hail Mary, things like that, right? Unlikely events, of course, it's a bad beat. But simply, you know, a three-run shot in the ninth to win, it's not a bad beat, okay? So the example used in the article from the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, and they gave a few examples. It's just kind of interesting to see how they view these bad beats. So the first example they gave, Philadelphia and uh, the Guardians. This is this article was written a couple days ago, so this is not brand new news. But Philadelphia played the Cleveland Guardians. It was uh, under nine was the bet, okay? under nine runs. And this article was saying it was a bad beat because in the ninth inning, Philadelphia was up 4-3. 
right? And then Cleveland got a home run to send it to extras, which Philadelphia ended up winning in extras and in the nine, uh, the overhit. But this is a great example, right? Just because it was 4-3 in the ninth inning and you have the under doesn't mean that it was a bad beat. You know, it was one home run. <laughs> it was a, a, a solo shot of a home run. So it's like, why are we, why do we label that a bad beat? Like why? And I understand if you have the under nine and it's the ninth inning, seven runs scored, you're not feeling bad about your bet. I get that. But to think you should just start walking to the counter to cash it is also crazy. There's a good chance that Cleveland's going to tie that thing up. So when they hit a solo shot to tie it up 4-4, it's not a bad beat. That's baseball. Right? So, 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 you know, that, that not a bad beat at all. I'm assuming the the author of this article probably had a ticket on that. And by the way, in that same game, it was 4-3 in the sixth inning. So, so, so if you had under nine in the sixth inning, you're going, ah, damn it. Just because there wasn't a run in the seventh or eight doesn't make that a bad beat. Okay? So 0 for 1 of the bad beats. The next one, uh, they talked about Cruz Azul into Miami, right? This was the first game that uh, Lionel Messi played with Miami. Messi ended, Messi ended up scoring a extra time. The equalizer? No, it's actually not an equalizer. I just like saying that. It was uh, to go up, and it got Miami the win, 2-1. I like saying that, though. E- equalizer? But uh, anyway, sorry about that. Um, but so, so again, this is an example of just because Messi scored late doesn't make it a bad beat. Now, this article claims that if you had either Cruz Azul plus a half or the draw plus 230, it's a bad beat. Why? Just because you're close to the end of the game and something that normally happens all the time in soccer happens. And by the way, we talked earlier about ninth inning scoring, how you know you could mention setup guys or closers, things like that. Did you know that in soccer, it is actually way more likely that the closer you get to extra time and in extra time, a goal will be scored. If you look at 15-minute increments in the Premier League, there are way more goals in the 75 to 90 mark than there are in the 60 to 75 mark in the game. Why? It's because obviously time's running out. If you need to win, if you need points, there's less time in the game, things will be... Uh, forced offenses will be executed much more proficiently or or determine or the determination to run offense or get a goal is going to be so much stronger towards the end of the game and you see this play on the stats all the time so when we see these extra time goals and this is something that took me a couple years to learn because there's a lot of them that sounds like a bad beat trust me it feels deep down like a bad beat it does because whether you have a game one or you win a game in in extra time it feels amazing if you win. It feels horrible if you lose. But when you look at the statistics, that's not a bad beat. That happens all the time. Not only do goals happen all the time in soccer, so why at the end of the game is it so unlikely for it to happen? It's more likely to happen at the end of the game, right? So whenever there's these extra time goals and everyone's so surprised, we shouldn't be. It's changing the way you look at things. And you know what I think at the end of the day, the whole bad beat thing that that I, I, I'm trying to buck is people giving them giving themselves excuses. You know, whether it's Twitter or social media or other people who give out picks, it's like every win, everyone out there seems, or at least on gambling Twitter, every win, everyone's a genius. Every loss, it's like a uh, bad beat. You know, so that's that's why I want to talk about this. A bad beat's not generally what you think it is. All right, let's turn the page. I got a little rambly there. Let's talk about the math of a parlay bonus. A lot of us are seeing these more and more, whether it's DraftKings, BetMGM, you know, fill in the blank for the sports book you use, but there's a lot of make a four plus leg parlay and get a 25% boost. Okay, now we're going to talk about why sports books are offering this because I think it's pretty interesting that most people jump on these 
When in, in fact, at the end of the day, even if it's a 25% boost, it's still a bad bet for you. Now, look, if you're going to make these anyway, you may as well take the boost. I know a lot of people who listen to this show, you know, you, you listen, you, it's entertainment, you get some picks. I say not to make parlays, you go make 10 team parlays, whatever. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. So if you are going to make a four teamer, obviously take the boost anyway. But let's talk about the math, why you shouldn't be doing this in the first place. So the, the offer is usually you've got to make a, a parlay with at least four teams and they're going to offer you a 25% boost. Now, this can be appealing when you type into your computer what you would get paid and you see the boost numbers. Okay, That can be appealing for sure. 25% extra, who's going to complain about that? The issue is that the odds don't necessarily match up with what they should. And that 25% at the end of the day is still not enough for you to overcome the house edge. That's why they're offering it. If if they were to lose money on this, they wouldn't be offering it. They know that they're going to make money doing this. Now, I'm going to refer specifically to BetMGM because I have uh, one of these right now in my inbox. I think they're probably the most common for offering these. And uh, that's sort of what I referred to for today's show is this four-team parlay with a 25% boost. So let's talk about the math. Let's start off with the house math, the sportsbook math, and then we'll get to the sports better, our math. So for the sportsbook, here's how it works out for them, okay? They know that their average sports better, the public sports better, wins about 50% of the time if they're betting minus 110, okay? This is very, very... At this point, it's just truth. It's just, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. It's not arguable. This is over decades of data especially with a bunch of legalized data recently, this is what it is. The average better will win right around 50% of the time. You yourself, if you're listening to this and you tracked all of your bets from when you started betting to your very last bet you ever make, most people listening right now, it's, it's crazy how math is, is, is always right with this. The vast majority of people listening, so many people, are going to be in between 48.5% and 50.5%. I mean, it is insane how everyone with enough bets ends up right there at 50-50. So this is not debatable. We know this. Everyone listening to the show, most people in the public are, are going to go around 50% for every minus 110 bet they make. So what that means is for every, to, to win two in a row, they're going to do that about 25% of the time. To win three in a row, the average better is going to win that about 12% of the time. And to win four in a row, aka a four-team parlay, you're going to win that, the average better, right about 6% of the time. So they're paying out, they being the house, they're paying out 25% more to 6% of their customers. Because remember, if a, let's say of all the people who made this 14 parlay, only 6% of them are going to win the parlay. 94% of customers are going to lose the parlay and give the sports books whatever money they bet on there. See, the 25% boost only matters if you win the parlay. Otherwise, it's just like any other parlay. So the house knows 94% of people are going to lose that bet. Now, for the 6% who win, great. They're going to get 25% payout. So let's walk through this. Let's say 100,000 people make that bet. 100,000 people see in their inbox this, uh, this, this parlay boost, and they decide to make it. Of those 100,000 people, 6,000 people are going to win. Okay, so the math is 6,000 people are going to win $123 because that's, that's what they would make on this uh, parlay, right? This 14 parlay pays about uh, plus 123 or a plus uh, uh, 1230, okay? 1230. So for a $10 bet, let's say you make a $10 bet. That's what all this math is, right? A $10 bet. You make a $10 bet to win 123 bucks. 
So 6,000 people, and, and this is an example, right? People obviously aren't just making $10 bets. But just for the sake of the math here, if all 100,000 people made a $10 bet to win 123, here's what that looks like. 6,000 people win 123 bucks. So that's going to cost the sports book $738,000. But those 94,000 people, 94% of the people who lose the parlay are going to lose $10. So that's a that's a gain for the sports book of 940,000. So look at the math there. The sports book knows they're going to make 940,000. Now they have to pay out 738,000. But that's still good for a profit of $200,000. And that's again assuming everyone made a $10 bet, which is not the case. This is very conservative numbers. So by BetMGM or any other sports book offering that that parlay boost what they're doing is they're saying, okay, hey, we need a boost in our own money. How can we get some extra money? Let's make something seem dressed up and seem like a good deal for them, when in reality, that's just another way for us to rake in the cash. So every time you make that bet, you're essentially donating to this MGM fund where they're guaranteeing they're going to make a profit of whatever it is, X percent, right? And again, we walk through that. That's very conservative numbers. But with that, everyone making $10 bets, 100,000 people making the bet, they're going to profit almost 2 $100,000 over $200,000 with those numbers in that example. So that's why the sports books do it. That's why they offer it. If you see a 25% boost, you go, how do they offer that? It makes sense mathematically for them. Now let's talk about your math, the math betting the parlay. You're going to win again, just flip the script because you are the public better who we were talking about, who's going to win about 6% of the time. So every four-team parlay you listening, every time you make a four-team parlay, you'll win that about six out of 100 times. Now, it doesn't go up substantially for a pro better. If I made a four-team parlay, I would only win like eight or nine out of 100 times. Okay, so it's not like it's this huge discrepancy. Four-team parlays are not great to make because you have to win every leg if that's a parlay. So let's do the math here. The four-leg minus 110 parlay, as we said earlier, pays about plus 1230. What that means is if you win that parlay, you bet 10 to win 123. You're going to collect 133, right? The win, the winnings, 123, and the original 10 you bet. So what that means is you need to win that bet every 8.3 times you make a four-team parlay. That's just a break-even. Now, let, let, let's make the math easy here. Let, we're going to round off, okay? So if you're a huge math person, just work with me here. So you need to win roughly every eight times you make that parlay, one out of eight times, okay? And, and most people go, hey, that doesn't sound too bad. I think that sounds good. I can make a four-team parlay and I only have to win one out of every eight times. That doesn't sound too bad. In reality, when you look at the math of the average sports better, everyone out there listening right now, every public better is going to win about one out of every 16 times, right? That's roughly six out of 100, right? 6% of the time, that's roughly one out of 16 times. So if we need to win one out of eight times and we are going to win one out of 16 times, that means the sports book has like a 50% advantage. Think about that. We need to win one out of every eight. We're going to win one out of every 16. So the house is working with a 50% advantage despite everything else. Isn't that crazy? When you work through the math, this is how it breaks down. This is why they offer these things. If you just think about yourself or, hey, 25% boost. If I win, it's 20, extra 25%. But the math of you actually winning that doesn't make it worthwhile at all. Because the house, as we said, working with about a 50% advantage at this point in the process. So what do they do? They offer you a 25% bonus. It seems... 
it's actually smart, right? I mean, it seems like you're getting something good. Yet, whoever's doing this, whatever sports book, is still working with a 25% advantage. How did we get those numbers? Again, if you need to win one out of every eight times, and you're going to win about half as much, one out of every 16, the house is working with a 50% advantage. So if they offer an extra 25% back, they're still working with a 25% advantage. And just to put that in perspective, if you make a bet minus 110, the house advantage on that's just over, what, 4%, 4.5%. So would you rather have the house have about a 4.5% bet if you just make a single, or you make a bet like this, and even with your bonus, the, the sportsbook still has a 25% advantage. Now look, you may win that part. You know what, what, what makes me laugh is when people go, yeah, but what if we win? What if we win? It's like, what if you win? You know, what if you win the lottery? Does that make it worthwhile? What if you win a scratch ticket? Does that make it worthwhile? Everyone's going to win. It doesn't make it a good bet. And just to simplify, if you got a little confused with all that math, let's simplify this whole idea with a two-team parlay because these are easier to do the math for, right? So with a, with a two-team parlay, you're going to hit each leg of a parlay, like we said before, 50% of the time. So that means you're going to win, the listener, the average listener, the average sports better, you're going to win a two-team parlay one out of every four times you make that parlay. Okay. Now it pays plus 263, the a two team minus 110 parlay. So if you bet $10, you're going to win about $26 when you win a parlay, collect 36. So think about it. Let's just walk through this simple math here. You're going to win that one out of every four times, right? 25% of the time. So just to be very, very like plain and vanilla with the math, just put it all out there, very kind of rudimentary. Every three times you'll lose in every one time you'll win, right? That's 25%. So you're going to win. Let's say you, you go win, loss, 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 win, loss, loss, loss. Okay. That's your pattern. Every time you win, you're going to win 26 bucks, right? 10 to win 26. But every time you lose, you're going to lose 10. So every four bets, you're going to win 26 and then lose 10, lose 10, lose 10, AKA lose 30. So you see, that's a losing bet. You're going to win one out of every four times, 26, and then you're going to lose $30 the rest of the time. Well, you're going to lose 10 the rest of the time to total $30. So every four bets you make, you lose $4. And this actually gets worse the more legs you add to a parlay. But I thought it'd be more simplified to, do, to talk about a two-team parlay because you need to win 25, or you need to win that at least one out of every three times, and you're going to win one out of every four times. That's where the house gets their advantage. That's where they make their money. And, you know, I think that maybe like walking through that slowly kind of helps people understand how to do the math here. But overall, when you see these 25% boosts, the, these things from BetMGM, or, you know what DraftKings does is the missions. You've been assigned a mission, make five parlays and get this many coins or whatever it is, right? They all do this. And the reason is they want to make money. They're trying to find different ways to get your money. And if they just keep offering the same old bets, that's not fun for you. It's not different for you. How are they supposed to keep taking your money if you're, you're, you've been losing, you're, you're beat up, and you're, 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 you're sick of losing, and it's the same thing all the time? They want to find new ways for you to get excited to lose your money. That's their goal. So if we know the math and we don't do these things, we're actually going to, in turn, make more money and win more money. Because if you're not losing money, the opposite of that is you're keeping it and you're going to be making money. So, all right, that's for today's show. Appreciate you listening. Good luck, whatever you have going on today or tonight. Stay tuned tomorrow. We're going to do a deep dive handicap with a pick. Not sure what sport yet we're going to do there. So uh, anyway, we'll talk to you then right here on Sports Betting Daily.